Bienvenue sur le podcast Dernier Tour, or in other words, welcome to the final lap podcast. Uh, it was the Canadian Grand Prix last weekend, which means I've done another intro in French. <laughs> French Canadian, you know, that's, that makes sense, I guess. It's Montreal. <laughs> it was either that or do it in English, which seemed a bit of a cop out, really. Yeah, if you do it with a Canadian English accent, that might be fun. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the final lap podcast. <laughs> I don't know. A? <laughs> you Hoosiers? So, yes, Canada, and as we covered last week in depth, we're both of uh, a favourite track of both of us, so mm-hmm. I think we both went into this with high expectations, and I'm pleased to say I was not let down. Was not let down at all. No, although we failed miserably in our predictions, technically. I think I had a, I have a Mercedes 1-2 with, I think I went for, did I say Bottas to get third? I can't even remember. Who uh, I think it might have been. I think I said the Williams because of the power on the straights, which would make sense, but, yeah. But, yeah, um, uh, Canada, where do we start, really, to be honest? Well... What what a classic. Yeah, and a weird classic, wasn't it, in that um, it really didn't pick up until the the second half of the the Grand Prix. Um, It really looked like we were going to be in for exactly what we thought... um, (laughs) <laughs> what we kind of predicted was happening, that the Merc even, would just run away and we'd see who came third. Even if it hadn't transpired the way it did, we still would have been on for a good race, though, with the two Mercs battling it out up the top. Like, even if they didn't have their problems, I think we were still on for a, a fight to the finish between those two. So I think regardless, we were going to get a good race. Just so happens that we got a, a mental race in the end. Well, I think uh, the ironic thing is just if, if the both Mercs had, um, had finished... What we'd have been looking at is the battle between Danny Rick and Seb Vettel alongside probably maybe both Force Indies, possibility of Alonso and um, Button in the McLaren as being actually all quite close come the end of the race and all racing each other and really concentrating on them. It, it was it was kind of the fact that there, there suddenly became the possibility of a win that I think shook it up so violently. Yeah. Otherwise, I think pe- more people would have sort of followed in tow tried to save fuel and done all the other bits and pieces up until the last 10 laps a bit like um uh monaco and the the other ones where it sort of was all static right until the very end i'm not overly surprised that um it was as close as it was between red bull williams force india even ferrari and mclaren slightly further back like i expect at all times this season any one of those teams be able to get a third behind the Mercedes, they all seem to be quite closely matched. Yeah. Depending on the circuit. Like one track will be a Red Bull best, the rest then it'll be a Force India, then it'll be a Ferrari, then it'll be a McLaren, then it'll be a Williams. They're all quite they've all got strengths in places that they can all beat each other on their day. Which you know, like you said in the past, it makes for great racing if the Mercs run away with it. We're we are kind of always guaranteed a good battle behind, which is good at least. They're all pretty close. Best of the rest this weekend. Uh, best of the rest. Com- uh, best of everybody, should I say? Well, Mr. Maiden Grand Prix winner himself, Danny Ricardo. And who's, who's pleased? Well, I, I don't think anybody can be not pleased. He's. I think he's the man who singularly turned round everybody's opinion of Red Bull, or not. Yeah. Maybe not turned around, but they've. He's allowed people to be happy about Red Bull. Winning. Yeah, that's that's definitely how I would describe it. Like I. As much as I would have preferred Nico to win this week, and I'll go into that. Uh, yeah, I don't hate this Red Bull victory. 
anywhere near as much as I would have done if it was Mark Webber last season, which is interesting. So that clearly shows to me that it's it's Daniel Ricciardo that's made the difference there. Because even if Webber was winning Grand Prix last year, I was still disappointed. Yeah, that it was a, that it was a Red Bull winning. Do you think but, that? Do you think that's part, partly down to the fact that what it really m- more seemed like that Webber was taking away opportunities for other people to try and beat Vettel when Webber was clearly never going to be given the treatment enough to challenge him? Possibly. I also think that um, I'm definitely being more, shall we say, tolerant of a Red Bull victory at the moment because they haven't been anywhere near the, the pace this season. So I'm like, okay, they can, they've can. they been crap. They can have one. We'll let them have one. They've been crap. So <laughs> I think I, I, it's probably that. It's probably about 70% that and 30%. Okay, Danny Rick's a nice guy. He can have a victory. But, yeah, I'm probably leaning more to the fact that I don't expect Red Bull to get another victory anytime <laughs> soon. So I'm, I'm letting everybody gets one. Yeah, <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, that's fair enough. Um, but, yeah, great drive from Like, Ricardo had to be... He, he had, like, we'll go into the next problems, and someone had to be the man. If they were going to lose, he had, he had to be there. Uh, he was the man in the right position at the right time great drive to get get himself up because he was started behind Vettel so well that that's what I was going to say let's rewind this back to qualifying somewhat because I think there were some interesting things that came up in in there in terms of we've gone to the power circuit it's the one that all the Mercs were supposed to really do well on and it was clearly going to be the one where everybody caught up massively to the Mercedes or they were going to show that they'd caught up massively to the Mercedes um and obviously we got the two Mercs one and two um with Nico just shading it by uh, seven, seven one hundredths, I think. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know, and then we had the Red Bull of, of Vettel with the two Williams in between um, him and Daniel Ricciardo, and I was kind of, I was quite surprised that, y- you know, I was expecting that the Rebels would end up being seventh or eighth or something ridiculous. I I agree. I'm surprised that that they were able to have the pace that they did. Uh, You shouldn't be, because it is Red Bull, and we know how good they are. Even with their disadvantages in a straight line, they're still Red Bull. They're still a four-time champions. But, yeah, I was surprised they beat the Williamses. I thought the Williamses were shooing for for third and fourth here. Uh, And just going back just quickly to Rosberg, I'm really surprised and impressed that Rosberg managed to to beat Lewis de Paul. It's, it's, it was uh, mentioned plenty of times in the build-up that this was expected to be a Lewis track, and yeah, Lewis didn't have the greatest final lap in qualifying, but that's that's the way it goes. Like you didn't have a final good lap in qualifying, the other guy did. He deserved his pole. So well done to Rosberg. Uh, no, absolutely. And the, one of the interesting that was kind of pointed out, and I didn't realise this was the case, that um, they swap back and forth, uh, track to track, who chooses when yeah. they go out yeah. first and second. But Rosberg pretty much always still chose, chooses to go out first. Um, and Lewis will always choose to go out second. So in the end, they end up doing the same thing most weeks. Um, and it was pointed out to me that if you then take that back to Monaco, you can see why it's sensible for Rosberg to do that. Because if you're out first, you've got more a chance of completing your lap before something can happen to screw it up. Whereas if you mm-hmm. go out last, sure, you get the track at its best. But all it takes is a yellow flag, red flag, whatever it is, and then it, yeah. it negates the advantage of coming out at all. So, uh, 
and I think there's a psychological advantage to say that you go in and put something put something in that somebody else has to follow. Yeah. No, I agree, yeah. And I don't know how that changes the telemetry on the not the telemetry, but like the timing on the on the dashboard. So if you were going halfway through your lap and you think, Oh good, I'm a I'm two tenths up on my teammate who then goes in and puts a lap two tenths quicker again, if that f- immediately flashes up on your dashboard, I wonder how disheartening that could be. Do you know what I mean to know it's halfway definite. through your lap you thought, oh, I've I've wrung my neck and look, I'm I'm a couple of tenths up, only to find that when you go through the next bit of timing, it tells you that you're actually a tenth down or something. You no, know, it's very interesting from a psychological point of view, and I hadn't. It's not something I'd even pondered before, to be honest. So, be interesting to see how qualifying uh, continues in the next couple of races. As certainly after Monaco and then after Rosberg beating beating Lewis on what is perceived to be a Lewis track, especially over a one-lap uh, effort. Uh, surely Lewis is going to be given everything. He, he, he'll want that pole position in Austria almost as much as he'll want in the victory because Rosberg putting one on Lewis this weekend, certainly at the pole, was, was a surprise to most people. And, you know, a good a, a message. It was a message sent to Lewis. is hey, I'm, I'm quick too. I'm... I'm I can do one lap just as quick as anybody. Mm-hmm. So it's a good psychological boost for Nico and a bit of a dent in Lewis's, uh, Lewis's one, which is great. <laughs> yes, yeah, you can't go wrong. Um, so back to the race. Uh, as we've so, mentioned, yeah. Daniel Ricciardo picking up his maiden victory in Formula One. Uh, unlike Mark Webber, he decided not to fall to pieces in the car on his uh, victory lap and start crying. <laughs> It just well, said, to be fair, Weber waited about 200 Grand Prix well, to get his. I suppose that's true. <laughs> Although, I didn't realise, he'd done 50... Daniel Ricciardo's done 57 Grand Prix. Doesn't, they don't hang about now, do they, with no. 22, 20, 22, 23 race seasons. Uh, it's like you do a couple of seasons and you're on a half century almost. Eh? Do you know what I mean? There's, there's probably <laughs> world champions from the 1970s who have done less Grand Prix that's than that. absolutely true. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I couldn't be more pleased. Uh, it's a gratifying win for me. I feel jubilant that what we've got is a guy who's come in with natural raw talent, been given the chance to run it, uh, or run with it, and not be hampered by being the new guy in a team and, you know, probably getting second fiddle and all the bits and pieces. And he's just gone out there, worked really damn hard, and gotten his reward. Absolutely. I mean, I always go on about how young guys don't get enough of a chance in the top side. So, from an ideological standpoint, this is a victory for 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 that. For for taking a guy in a lower team who's got raw pace, guys like Ricardo, guys like Hulkenberg. Obviously, he hasn't had his chance yet, but will come and sticking them in a car and just seeing what they can do and giving them time and letting them race. And the directs putting one on Vettel every week now, every single week. He started below him. He started three places below him on the grid, and and, yep. and beat him this week on pure pace. What can you say about that? The man's a four-time world champion, and he's getting done by his rookie teammate. Brilliant. Gotta love it. Yeah, Vettel was um, for probably one of the first times ever. Well, not maybe ever, but unusually was rather fucked by his own team. Um, in that they chose to stick with when they were gonna pit him for his tyres uh, and then chucked him out in the middle of a load of traffic whereas Ricardo, um, what they what they said was that most of the damage was done that Ricardo did an absolutely magnificent 
um, lap when he did his his pit. So that that's why he really ended up ahead. But they still chucked Vettel out at a really ridiculous point in the race um, when they could have thought about trying to have like extended his stint or or done something completely different. That's um, it. They're so used to just you know dictating the races and being able to just call everything exactly when they need to and, and control in the entire pace. And now that they're down in their field and having to scrap and having to make calls on the fly like that and change strategies on a moment's notice, it's it's not an easy job. And and it's, they've made mistakes this season with regards to that. So you know, it's a shame for Vettel, but I won't have an awful lot of sympathy. <laughs> no, uh, Daniel Ricciardo probably overtaking move of the race. Do you think to to get past? Um... To get past Perez. To get past Perez. Yeah. In an unusual position on the track, really, wasn't it? It's not the place most people were doing their overtaking. I mean, obviously, obviously he's not going to do it on the straights, but... Yeah, it was good, yeah. Uh, my memory's pretty terrible for these kind of things, but certainly up there. And that one, it does stick in my mind, that one, so it must mean it's good, I guess. Did Massa not pass two of them at once down the hairpin? Pretty sure he did. Oh, he, oh I think he maybe passed two in about two corners. I think. Yeah, soon, quite it? like quite like that as well when he was on his charge. But yeah, he, I mean, we'll give it to Danny Rick. I think so. Yeah, he deserves it. For I mean, that was essentially the pass that won the Grand Prix. If he couldn't get past Perez, he wasn't going to pass Rosberg. So for that alone, he probably deserves it. Um, I'm sure Vettel made a good move as well. I remember thinking that was a really good move by Vettel at one point. Uh, I think when he I think when he did Perez as well, he he did it in a. In an equally unorthodox... Oh, no, he did him down the straight, actually, didn't he? I I'm, think. Sure Perez, I'm sure Vettel did somebody into the, um, into the last corner, but I can't remember who it was. But um, either way, they were both good moves. Uh, so, yeah, but we'll give it to Ricardo. He deserves it. Perez deserves credit for being able to hold on for so long, I think, probably. But yes. Yeah, I think we'll, we'll, we'll get to him amongst yeah. the, the many retirees there were this race. Yes, so the reason Daniel Ricciardo has his maiden Grand Prix win, and it's not a silver car for the first time all season, which, can I just say, I'm a bit disappointed. Part of me really wanted Mercedes to win all the Grand Prix this season, just because it's never been done before. I just I thought that would have been just pretty brilliant. Just, no one's ever won every single Grand Prix. I think that would have been cool. But it's the last, it's not to be, and the reason is uh, technical problems, really, isn't it, at the end of the day? Engine issues, brake yes. issues. The first, of issues. the first real chink in the armour, so to speak. Because um, yep. I think Lewis's first DNF was just kind of, you know, it, so early on in the season, there was always yeah. going to be bound to be something that was going to fall off on one of the cars at some point. Um, a very interesting issue and highlighting, you know, again, how on edge Formula One cars are in terms of the what they do to make them as fast as possible. It was amazing how they both failed on like the same lap. Like that, it, it, that's it. Like the entire race is essentially could be hinging on some sort of computer in the garage, basically. Like if that goes, both cars go. Like that's it. You know, it's uh, like well, you're probably you're better at the technical stuff than me. Do you want to explain the K's and the R's and all of that nonsense? So yeah, there's there's two types of the energy recovery um, stuff. There's stuff from the turbo, and then there's the the braking. Uh, the braking is the KERS, so it's the K, um, and then there is the stuff from the turbo, which is, uh, what do they call that? I think that's M, isn't it? Off it's, the MG, it's MGUK. Which MGUK, is which is which is that that gives them the um, 
the the boost of the recycled energy back from the from the turbo engine. Um, the turbo engine isn't so bad. Um, in the, it, it kind of tops up the engine in a general sort of way, recharging all the batteries and all the bits and pieces. The K is much more difficult because it's physically gathered from the car slowing down, um, which means the teams take it into account in terms of how they set up the brakes on the cars. Uh, so the front brakes don't change because there's nothing attached to the front brakes of a Formula One car, uh, bar a couple of uh, steering rods to make it to make sure it turns left and right. So there's nothing that you can recover of them. So the brakes on the front of a Formula One car are ex probably exactly the same as they were last season. The back ones, however, as we found out, have been significantly re uh, thinned out because they're actually doing a lot more of the braking using the engine um, in one form or another. Um, we often hear it in terms of when they're saving fuel is that they want to allow the uh, engine to do braking in the normal types of way of flicking down a gear and the, the engine pulls it down south. But that also includes the the um, K-ers being harvested from the back brakes. So what happens when your uh, KERS harvesting fails or, you know, that part of the engine fails and is therefore not ever collecting any energy again? As Lewis Hamilton finds out, you end up with a very, very worn, thin, red-hot set of brakes in the back of your car, which very suddenly, as you're heading into one of the faster corners of the track, give up on you. Yeah, it was extremely fortunate not to hit the barrier. Did, did you see that when he ran, ran into the final the final chicane? And he's obviously his brakes are failed. I think his brakes failed down near the hairpin, probably. But then, yeah, he misses the the tyre barrier at the... Mm beyond the chicane by a fraction like he has to turn at the last second to get out of the way there like it could have been a lot a lot more dangerous than than it turned out to be thankfully and, and thus the problem with brake failure is uh <laughs> is shown uh, when you can't stop your car the most obvious thing for you to do is run into something um so yeah he was very lucky to to, to really well we walk away from it obviously um so before his brake failure though the interesting thing was that both the mercedes suffered the exact same loss of uh, K at the exact same point. So both of them went on the radio saying, I've got no power at the exact same lap. Like, I, I, Lewis went on the radio first and went, I've got no power. And I says, I was watching it with Jennifer and I was like, oh, yes, Lewis is no power. This is brilliant. And then about 30 seconds later, Nico, I've got no power as well. I was like, oh, no, this is a disaster. <laughs> so, yeah, you, it, it makes you wonder whether that's a part failure or a software failure. You know, it, it it feels more like it should be a software failure because how does well, how do things fall first. over at the same time? I assumed at first it was a software failure. Yeah, like that was my my, my I'm not really that you know into the technical uh, side as much, but to me it looked as if something like in the garage or whatever had or it was controlling the, the the electronics or something had failed from like a base that controlled both of them at the same time or something, I'd, I don't know. Uh, point is, it looked like a software failure to me that had, that had obviously affected both cars at the same time. So, yeah, um, at that point I thought, well, maybe they can they can, they can, can sort it or they can at least hold on. It's got enough pace in that Mercedes, it should be good. But it became pretty quickly apparent that that wasn't going to be a case. I think they were taking out three seconds a lap. The Force Indias and the Red Bulls were like gaining three seconds a lap at times. So. When it first happened, and I think they were desperately trying to reset stuff on the car, it certainly felt like that. Yeah, and at, at that point I was going, oh, this is this is a disaster. 
And then when Lewis's brakes failed, obviously as a direct consequence of losing the K, I thought, well, now it's no longer a disaster. Even if Nico can get anything, you have to say that's success. And obviously, as we're going to say, he did manage to get something. So that's the way it goes. Lewis didn't. Nico did. Um, and that's that's pleasing for for Rosberg fans, obviously. Mm-hmm. The interesting thing, wasn't it, is that very early on in the race, Nico asked uh, about the brake bias, uh, and they'd specifically said that Lewis was more rearwards and he was more frontwards. Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, it's kind of interesting that Lewis's rear brakes failed, and, and you know that's obviously the way he yeah. drives hard on the hard braking. Whereas maybe you know Nico is a bit is a bit less stampy on the uh, on the stopping pedal. And this is what I was saying to people before the start of the season when I picked Rosberg as my man to win the world title this year, as I think Rosberg's style will will bring the car home more often than Lewis's will. And, you know, well, Lewis has got two DNS and Rosberg's got none. So my logic there, whether in reality that is the case, it may or may not be, but that's the way it's proven to be. Yeah. It would certainly seem that way. Certainly seem that way. Which uh, is uh, certainly... Not a surprise to me, anyway, because that's, that's, <laughs> that's just the way I, Lewis has always been an aggressive driver. And I'm not when I made that decision, it wasn't necessarily because I thought he would ruin his car all the time. I just thought he perhaps might get himself into more accidents mm. than Rosberg would. You know, maybe stick him on up the inside when he shouldn't, something like that. That was kind of my thought process. But it's funny how it's turned out that it's not really that that's causing the problem, but it's his, his styles affecting the car. So it's very interesting. Yes. But when uh, the man at the top fails, there is opportunity for those around him. And as we've already spoken, Daniel Ricciardo took his opportunity fantastically. And Rosberg, though, managed to somehow hang on for second place. Uh, not quite sure how he managed to do it, but you got to credit where it's due. He, drove, he dragged that car, which was 160 horsepower slower. It's something like straight. that. And you've seen it down the straight. It was unbelievable. He was a second and a half up all through the first two corners. And then I was watching the timing screen in the top left-hand corner, and it was amazing. As soon as they got to the straight, it was like a second and a half, a second, half a second. Within like like a blink of an eye, the Force India originally, and then the road bill just closed right up the back of them. And for yeah. the last 20 laps, I was just like, oh, my God, how long can this go on? He can't possibly keep defending. It was unbelievable. Obviously, having to not only deal with the horsepower issue, but... Uh, nurse his brakes as well because he knew Lewis had had a brake problem so he was nursing the brakes all the way around as well so great drive from Nico for second place and I'm pleased that that's 18 points that he's taken out uh, over Lewis Hamilton there who took nothing obviously with his DNF so he's now 22 points clear so Lewis spent four races winning four races in a row to gain the, uh, gain back the advantage that Nico built up in Australia and just like that he's lost it again it's so funny how the championship can swing hmm yeah, it'll be interesting to see whether whether we that kind of sort of thing happens again is that Lewis has to charge so hard to, to get back just to an even keel uh, and that puts him in a better in a worse position later on in the year when he's relying on slightly used engines and gearboxes well, exactly and, it's funny how these things happen eh? uh, third place was picked up by Sebastian Vettel in the other Red Bull um, I think Sebastian Vettel is almost certainly doing some kind of lottery ticket this, uh, this week <laughs> yeah. after his um, near miss. Uh, if you didn't catch it during the race, uh, after Daniel Ricciardo had managed to dispatch Perez in the last few laps, uh, it was left with Perez uh, followed by Vettel, followed by Felipe Massa, or Felipe Massa eventually caught up with um, 
Vettel because he couldn't get past Perez. Um, and then coming into was it into the hairpin? No, it wasn't the hairpin. Was it, it was well, the accident? It yeah. was in turn one. Was it turn one? Yeah, it was down the home straight. Massa goes to he gets a good run. Oh out yes, of it was, wasn't corner. it? He gets a good run out of the chicane in the last corner because Massa's got about ten laps fresh of tires. It's a slightly different tire strategy, I think. He originally looked like he was going to try and eke it out all the way and couldn't manage it. So what ended up happening was he needed to make a late stop, which put him in traffic behind the bulls, behind Perez, but with a quick car because he had fresh 12 tires. Laps, 12 laps fresher, I think, wasn't it? So he, so he cruises up to the back of, of the train, who and Perez, who had been in, I think, second for ages, the head of the Red Bulls, uh, trying a classic Perez, and I really thought he was going to pull off a long way where he just stays on the same tires and stuff, uh, like he used to do in the Sauber. Mm-hmm. So he's so he's trying to he's trying to nurse this car home, and I think he's also having problems with his brakes because that's just Montreal for you, isn't it? Like he's he's always having problems with the, they always have problems with the brakes there. So Massa cruises up to the back. Ricardo's passed Perez by now. Vettel's then in the middle of Perez, and I don't know. Does he get does Vettel get past Perez? No, he gets par- he gets passed and then along along the straight. Yeah. Massa then is in his slipstream, gets so a run out of goes to the left yeah. to try and do pretty much the same thing although he's much farther down and he doesn't he doesn't get very far away from Perez and then something happens that means the Force India and the Williams touch they collect each other and then essentially smash into the barrier but in doing so Perez slides 10 yards behind Sebastian Vettel whereas Felipe Massa passes like maybe half a meter if that in front of Vettel's yeah, car as he's coming around the side. corner, and Vettel somehow doesn't get, <laughs> doesn't collect either of them. It's, it's pretty remarkable. It's one of the best, like I say, best. Best is probably a terrible word to use there, but it's one of the best accidents I've seen in a long time. It was, uh, like you don't see a lot of proper big smashes like that anymore. Like it's pretty much. I remember Kibitzas there in '07. That was a huge one. Mm. Like it was one of like. If you get a crash at Montreal, it's, it's usually a pretty scary one because because of the, just the nature of the circuit. It's a wall, so, or you're going fast. It's yeah, one of the, one of the two things. Both. <laughs> so you know, it was it was a pretty much, it was a belter, and like you said, Vettel needs his lottery ticket because not only did he manage to not get himself caught up in it and thereby putting himself in danger, them two knocking each other out of the race gave him an open path to a podium that he wasn't really expecting. So he landed on his feet there. Did uh, did our world champion? Indeed. And I've watched it about five or six times, and I'm still not entirely sure who to blame. <laughs> what do you think? Well, I'll tell you what, let's, go, let's save it to the end, because it's an interesting... I think there's an interesting way of looking at it, certainly. Um, okay. Uh, yeah. So, okay, I guess then, other than Vettel, the main beneficiary of those <laughs> two talking each other out is uh, Mr. Button. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Somehow... Unbeknown to anybody, because none of the cameras were watching anything <laughs> other than that battle, passed about five cars in the last five laps or something. Or did he? Did he pit late to get fresh tires? No. Or what did he just? I don't know. I'm not even sure what happened because, like I said, the cameras just weren't following that at all. Like it, I don't think I've seen a Ferrari all weekend. <laughs> I think the whole point was that they on the super softs, he was he struggled really badly, and so he was just getting nowhere. Put on the softs, and suddenly everything just worked for him so he was he was massively far back for a long time and 
looking over it, I've seen reports of how it worked. And basically, he caught up um, to the back of Fernando Alonso with about 20 laps to go, give or take. And then waited for 10 laps or so. Oh, uh, sorry, no, it can't have been 20 laps. He caught up with him with maybe 15 laps to go or something like that. Spent about sort of 8, 9 or 10 laps behind Alonso. Saving fuel and saving tyres. And then just got a spurt on in the last five laps. Which meant that he was in the right position to... In the end, he overtook Fernando Alonso and Nico Hülkenberg on the last um, on the last lap. We we nearly got to see it because it was all it all kind of started around, um, I think it was the the last corner, um, where Alonso and Hülkenberg were kind of dicing. Alonso went wide, and you could see that Jensen was going to go probably through, and then we immediately cut away to the front because I think that's about when the. Um, everything started to go to kind of kick off with Ricardo and all the other cars. So yeah, we literally just didn't see anything of, of Jensen's massive fight yeah. back. As soon as, as soon as the race finished and the, the, the classified to come up, I was like, but in fourth, what <laughs> did that happen? <laughs> like, but you know, fair play. He always does quite well in Canada. He's got that, that legendary victory from a couple of years back under his belt. So it's not really a surprise that he's, that he's had a good race and you know what? I'm pleased for him. Like, well done, Jensen. That's a good effort. So I'm pleased for him. Absolutely. Um, that meant that Nico Hulkenberg ended up coming in in fifth. Quite dis- I mean, that sounds like a good result on paper, but I'm quite disappointed with that from Hulkenberg. Like he looked like he looked like he was going to have a bit more than that. He looked like he was mm. going to like you'd have thought on paper he'd have been able to challenge the Red Bulls this weekend. I, I must admit, I, he was kind of a, in the back of my mind as as a pick for person most likely to probably come in third alongside the Williams. Uh, I didn't yeah. think it would be a Perez track because it, it hasn't been in the past particularly. Um, but it's one of those things, you go uh, fifth, that's a good result, but then you think, well, if Massa and Perez don't have a tangle... It's seventh. It's first. seventh. And, and what, four places behind his, his teammate? Potentially? One, yeah, I mean... Three, Perez, three places behind his teammate. Yeah, probably third because Vettel would probably take, take third, wouldn't he? So, yeah... yeah. Yeah, and you know, I just I just expected a little bit more from from him. I don't know, it's a weird one. Like he kind of was there very briefly. He was in the shot. He was in the straight alongside his teammate and the two bulls, and then he just seemed to go backwards while they went yeah. forwards. And before you know, it, he was no longer battling with Perez and the bulls, but he was battling with Fernando and, and Jensen. And yeah, that's a bit disappointing, really. I but, mean, you know, to be fair, he started eleventh. So yeah, so still a good result at the end of the day, and. They, they tried something different with the tyres, I think. Did they not? Did they not want? Did they try and one stop? I think maybe. I think they both thought about it at one point or t'other. Yeah, um, and like obviously they were mixing it up after the bad qualifying and seeing what they could come up with. And if Perez hasn't been taken out or or did they taken out whichever way your your glasses, um, <laughs> uh, they get a double points finish from not getting a car in the top ten in qualifying. So it's hard to be too critical. But we've come to expect good things from Nico Hülkenberg, so I kind of just wanted a little bit more, I think. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, maybe maybe it's been spoiled by the 2014 sort of performance of like guys like Force India that that when you're getting done in the last couple of laps by a McLaren, you're disappointed, where you, whereas you shouldn't be because you'd expect the McLaren to be beating the Hulk, uh, the Force India in general. But just the way the season's gone, you're kind of like, oh, that's a bit disappointing from, from Hülkenberg. Indeed. 
Um, I mean, Fest is still a good result. Let's... Yeah, you, you can't. You have to say he was there to, to take advantage of it. Was Point, points on the board at the end of the day? It's a world championship, not a sprint, and he's got another fifth place. It's another healthy. So I mean, he's doing very well on the championship. I think so. Yes, and he like, finished, like, and his teammate didn't. So. Like we always say about Hulkenberg, he's always there. He is always there. You know, like he always brings a car home. He usually always gets points, finishes. So now he's that's a wee bit like. To a much lesser extent, obviously, like Fernando. Fernando tends to always just bring the car home, get some points, even when it's not having a great day. So, yeah, fair play. Absolutely. And speaking of was, Fernando, yeah, was the man I mentioned another anonymous race? That's a, he's very anonymous the last couple of races. But like I say, just bringing the car home, sort of to the level of of it is. Like it's just that like that Ferrari isn't is probably isn't going to be able to do much more than that. And Everybody knows it, so yeah. I think the I think the disappointing thing is is that it's almost one thing to say he's dragged that Ferrari to wherever it's needed to be, but it's this kind of slipping back in in that as he he's kind of done better and then got worse during the race. In whereas it was kind of the opposite way around. He'd kind of start the race fairly, you know, he'd have to do an amazing start at the the race and then magically appearing high up the points table i think his racing has just been disappointing this season um which is an unusual thing to say about alonso but i think it's is fairly true really he's not he's not been the fernando alonso of old i think i don't know whether that's just the wear and tear of having been driving in a fairly poor ferrari for I think. Seasons, but. I mean, I think I would point towards that. I mean, and, and look at Kimi Räikkönen as well, and the teammate. He's not exactly painting himself in glory, is he? Like it's no. The car's just a dog at the end of the day, and I mean, both guys are, are world champions. Both guys are. I mean, if you were to pick the top five drivers of the twenty first century, both of them would probably be in up there, certainly near the top. So, mm-hmm. like. And if they two can't make it work, there's nobody that can make it work. If Kimi Räikkönen and Fernando Alonso, between them, yes, can't get that Ferrari on the podium. I think that's the thing, isn't it? They're two two, that, two yeah. such different drivers. You'd think of them the car's got to suit one of them at some point, surely. Neither of them can get it to work, so you just have to say the car's crap. <laughs> <laughs> and and they know it. Both of them know it. Montezemolo knows it. Dominic Alley knew it. The new guy whose name I've got no idea knows it. Matiachi, isn't it? Yeah, the road car guy. They just, they just like, and I don't know how to fix it. And we have this conversation every week. What's wrong with Ferrari? And I don't know. And it makes me sad. No. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I don't know. Like you pointed out last week, they designed their own engine, so they shouldn't have this <laughs> issue. They shouldn't have it. And it's a bit like that time in the eighties and the nineties where it's like, when are Ferrari going to get back? They had. Hundreds of good drivers driving for them in the eighties and the nineties, and none of them could get it to work. Yep. And it's it's kind of feeling like that again. I mean, they put Prost in the car; he couldn't get it to work. It's like that. They've got Alonso, they've got Raikkonen. If they can't get it to work, what's what what's it going to take? It's probably yep. going to take. It's like it's getting to that stage where it's looking like it's going to take another another long time before a title. I mean, you in the next five years, you'd expect the Mercedes and the Red Bulls to to take those titles way more than the Ferraris, which is a shame. But yep. I don't know. It's, I don't know how to fix it. No. So that's that. And I don't think Ferrari do, or at least they don't know where they're going to do it at the moment. And you don't you don't seem to hear of people going into Ferrari. You don't see, you don't hear the, the things of, you know, talented new aerodynamicist 
working at Ferrari. Talented new engineer working for Ferrari. Yeah, you see McLaren, they're trying. They're trying to nick these guys from Red Bull and whatever. Like, at least they're throwing the dice. Yeah. Yeah, you don't, like you say, you don't see that as often with Ferrari. Uh, so, disappointment for Fernando. Probably more disappointing, really, for the guy who came seventh, which was Valtteri Bottas. Yeah, I expected, I expected him to be further up than that. Outqualified his uh, teammate, uh, which came back to the unenviable position of, of having never qualified a teammate at Canada. This is kind of amazing, given how long he's been racing. There is. I mean, he's been here since 2002. So that's 12 years. He's <laughs> 12 never... years of sucking aye, aye, at aye, Canada. There was no Grand Prix in 2010 at Montreal, or 2011 no. at Montreal, so it's, it's only 11 years. <laughs> <laughs> we should be fair, we should be fair. Um, yeah, it's a pretty poor record, like, you got yeah. uh, Bottas apparently had some car troubles uh, along with I mean, a lot of other people. I mean, everybody else so, I mean, fair enough. Um, he was still the top fan, he still finished ahead of Kimi, so... Yeah, that's true enough. Um, a battling performance from Jev... Um, yeah. who, who obviously without the crashes is coming nowhere, but yeah, he qualified well as well though. It was a decent enough weekend from Jeff. Like you say, first they have to finish and all of that. So well, indeed, um, a bad weekend I think for Kevin Magnussen, um, who Martin Brundle was going on all weekend was saying he was mightily quick through the first first couple of corners, and I was expecting, oh, all right, okay, yeah, if, if Brundle's picking up that he's. He's going through seemingly faster than the others. Maybe he'll he'll have a little something at this track. Um, and it turned out, no. <laughs> uh, to finish, I think the thing is, is, if you finish 10, well, what was he? No. 16, 17 seconds behind your teammate? That's bad. You know, yeah. It's one thing to be six, seven seconds, a couple of places down. But, you know, five places, uh, you know, a court third of a lap down just no not it's not good enough really um first season i you know i'm not damning the kid i'm not saying he's not good enough i think he will be good enough but he needs to do more f1 experience more of the tracks and how how he needs to be i think and then then it'll come good for him but i was just, I was just thinking that did um has he ever raced in montreal before uh, I, don't no. think, I, don't, I don't think three and a half go to montreal no, right. so, I'm, I'm pretty sure not. Um, so, I think there were a couple. There I were mean, a couple of guys on there. I think Kvyat had never raced before that. Um, uh, Bottas obviously has once. Um, yeah, so I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, you can kind of understand it, but like you say, give him time. I think he'll be good as well. I've yeah, said, I think. I think. I don't think we need to worry. No. Just yet. I don't think we need to start getting the pitchforks out just yet. I think I think the problem is is that everybody goes, Oh well he's not doing as well as Lewis Hamilton did in his rookie year and it's just like, well not everybody can Can't be Lewis Hamilton. And, and not everybody even... needs to be Lewis Hamilton. It, you don't have to be great from the moment you step in the car. You not could... even that as well though. Lewis Hamilton drove a car that was clearly capable of winning the world <laughs> title in his first season. Yes. Like that car was clearly the best, if not on the joint best car on the grid with the Ferraris at the time. Mm -hmm. Formula One isn't like that anymore. McLaren don't have a car capable of winning no. a world title. <laughs> Far from it. And it's the same for Ferrari. If Ferrari put Hulkenberg in their car right now instead of Kimi Raikkonen... And he's, Hulkenberg... he's still going to come behind the Force Indies, probably, isn't he? Uh, yeah, like, and then they'd be saying, oh, Hulkenberg isn't beating the Force India for it. He came from it. It's like, yeah, but that's not Hulkenberg's fault. <laughs> no. Hulkenberg in the Force India and he's going to come ahead of the Ferrari. Like, it's... <laughs> 
Uh, you just get like people, pundits and fans, and just people that are just wrong and stuff, and it just. Yeah, give the guy time. Give Magnuson time, he'll be fine. Give Hulkenberg a chance in a big car, he'll be fine. Perez deserved more of a chance. He would have been fine. But yep. that's the way it goes. Kvyat, you mentioned briefly there, I think is going to be very fine. I've got... I'm, I'm, the more I see this kid, I think this guy's got something about him. He didn't have the greatest weekend here, but I think this kid's got a lot to offer. The one that doesn't jump out of me on the list, sadly, and we've talked about him a few times, is Gutierrez. The more I'm just not convinced by him. No, this this season is rather proving. I think he needs to, he needs to be kicking Sutil's ass week in week out for it to work. Otherwise, yeah, yeah. being in the Sauber is pointless because yeah. it's shit. It's not going to take him anywhere. He's always going to. He needs to be doing what Bianchi did to Chilton last season and just make yeah. a mockery of the teammateship and say, "Well, all right, you give me a shit car, but look." I'm fucking a second faster than my teammate in quali and I always finish ahead of him and, you know, give me a good car. We'll, you know, I'll show you what I can do. Um, Absolutely. And, I, you know, it's really harsh because obviously it's still, it's, it's still only his second season, isn't it? So... That's it now, though. If you're, not, if you're not showing stuff after two seasons and, you know, me, I'm a big advocate of giving people time, but they don't get it. And right. I mean... I'd, I'd probably bet 10 quid right now happily that Gutierrez won't be in a server next season. So. I suspect so, but the ch- the, the problem is, is that I can still see that Adrian Suttle might be, which just yeah, blows which is, my mind. It's a, strange, it's a strange one, isn't it? Suttle's, I don't know, he's got this... He seems to have achieved this thing where people think that he's somehow a safe pair of hands, yeah. but yet he writes off the car all the time. <laughs> like <laughs> He's a funny one, Suttle. Like he's, he's, he's garnered this reputation of being a good sort of experienced guy that you want to put in alongside a rookie teammate yeah that's the perception team bosses seem to have him all we need a guy with 100 grand prix under the belt because we've got a rookie teammate so tells the man for that job like he seems to have <laughs> carved that little market out for himself and, and yet Heike Kovalainen can't get a job when he, true. when he clearly <laughs> when he clearly made the Catrum better than Mauritius when he was in the car he clearly gave the feedback that needed to improve the car and now they've and got just, nobody just Heike Kovalainen they can't get a job he could give it I mean we could set up a whole new formula yes. of good drivers that don't have a job. Yeah. So, I mean, Paul DeRessa is the first one that comes to mind. Yep, so. absolutely. Yeah. Anyway, we digress. We Canada. do. Sorry. Uh, place, Jimmy Reckoning. Somehow. What a, a point. Sh- <laughs> shockingly bad weekend. <laughs> yeah, well, the funny thing is, is Perez and Massa were classified 11th and 12th. So, yes. 10th place, Kimi Reckoning was, was last, wasn't it? So... <laughs> Uh, under the safety car, mind obviously the incident was on the last lap, so yeah. so we finished under the safety car, and Kimi, for all his uh, for all of his troubles, somehow got a point. Uh, I I do not know how he spanned the car so much this weekend, and he spanned it, it in the weirdest places. Completely like just on his own, wasn't it? Like as soon as he was squeezing on the throttle, he just bend the back end of it, didn't he? Somebody else did that as well, though. I think there was someone else that did that. There were a couple of, I think a couple yeah. of the younger guys did. That had funny, Kobe Ashi certainly yeah. did. Um, but you would expect guys like that to do it because they're they have to push that much harder, and they're probably going to do silly things like. I think it was Fiat. I think it was Fiat. Spend it down yep. one briefly. But yeah, yeah, Kimi, 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 Kimi. Not his best weekend. <laughs> no, I'm sure he uh, went away from this one and had an ice cream. Pretty sure he's having. I'm, I can imagine he's quite frustrated. Because he came back to Ferrari, obviously expecting 
expecting decent things. Imagine if you're Ferrari last season putting the sales pitch to Kimi Raikkonen to come this season. You're saying, oh, yeah, it's the new engine, uh, engine regs next season. You're in Lotus. You're going to be stuck with a dog air Renault engine. Whereas we at Ferrari, well, we're custom building our own. We've got all the technology to design this engine perfect for us. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're going to produce a good car next season. So you can understand why Kimmy's going, yeah, that sounds like quite an attractive proposition. So he's come along and fucking give, they've given him this. <laughs> and imagine Fernando's thinking the same thing. He's like, guys, yep. you told me 2014 was going to be the year. <laughs> yeah, I stuck around for another one just in case. Do you mind? She's getting silly now. Yeah. So, um, I mean, so I think, yeah, we'll, we'll, we won't we put Kimmy through... So any more misery by talking about his uh, his weekend like i say the last two before after that were the two guys that stuck it in the wall uh, on the last lap so. and, and amazingly both the sabers managed to get uh to get classified as well god knows how many laps they were down well good to, i've got gutierrez i've got gutierrez class has retired ah uh, right okay i've got him down as 14th on my screen so uh, uh but still i think is somehow classified yeah I, i'm not even sure what happened still did he did he have a, mecha- a car problem i think it was mechanical. i think he did yeah which is not really a surprise because that cyber is an absolute murder for the drive this year. So, um, so, so DNS, yeah. I'm going to start from from who went out first and what. Yeah, I think that'll up. be interesting because the first <laughs> two that went out should be quite of a an interesting one. So yeah, who was the first two to crash out this weekend? Well, I think you technically so the first person was technically Jules Bianchi. Um, only because Max Chilton made about two or three more corners before he realised <laughs> that his fucking wheel had fallen off. <laughs> I just I just wanted to point out like. How the crash down to earth after Monaco for <laughs> for poor old Marrakesh on a such a high. Do you have Jules Bianchi on Sky Sports News with uh, the whatever one of the attractive women that were on it and uh, Jim White that does the transfer deadline day. They had them set. They got Jules Bianchi into the studio to discuss about how good his Monaco Grand Prix was, and he was on such a high. And then first lap, both of them take each other out and crash it into the wall in Canada. What a come down! You gotta love it. Only in Formula One would you get something brilliant like that. <laughs> yeah. Now I've read something somewhere that that both guys are blaming each other for it, but I'm not entirely I, I, sure how that is because it it's quite that, clear yeah. that Max Chilton is all kinds of out of shape going into that corner. <laughs> He's practically drifting, isn't he? Yes. He's like in a rally car. Just Whee! Sideways. Swipes Bianchi completely. Who has a much bigger <laughs> accident because of it? He writes off the car with three or four wheels come off it, but. Like you say, Max just trundles around a few corners and goes, "Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, I, I don't, I don't have a left rear wheel." <laughs> the funny thing is, that's Max Jones' first retirement in Formula One, which is, to be fair, how has he done that? How has well, he never retired from a Grand Prix? He's Marussia? always been last. That's why nothing happens I, to you if you just stay in last. <laughs> but Marussia's bound to have had a mechanical problem in that time. Yet somehow... But they don't go fast enough for anything to break. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Like, just I think that's a good testament to Marussia's reliability that Max Shilton's been able to finish every Grand Prix. I oh, absolutely. Like, yeah, and obviously poor Jules uh, couldn't do much. No. Um, and it brought the safety car for about six laps or something at the start of the race. So. That, that car disintegrated, didn't it? When it it just fell to pieces, yeah, like, the back end I, just disappeared. True. Yeah, and the oil that was left in the track that could have that been was unusual. That could have been dangerous. Very curious how it did. Yeah, like you say, it just it was it wasn't much of an act like a tap. It was it was bigger than a tap, but it wasn't. It, 
It wasn't, I wouldn't even describe it as a shunt. <laughs> no, because <laughs> you'd have assumed that most of the damage was done by the wall, but it, it wasn't it really. The car was written off well before it made contact with the wall, I think. Yeah, so it, it was a very strange one, and Brando did pick up on that in commentary. Like, it's curious. I mean, but he did things... He did go right over the big sausage curb, which I think doesn't help because it these obviously things... jars the fuck out of everything, but even so. These things go through their crash tests and that, so they're obviously safe, but it was a bit concerning to see the way it did just fold there. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was <laughs> not even one lap for both Mauritius, but they if did. You were sorry, carry on. No, I was just going to say, but it did cause the, <laughs> the the only time I've ever seen a safety car on lap one. I think off the top of my head, I think I've ever seen a safety car on lap one. You know, um, my memory isn't great, but I'm sure there'll been one somewhere. Like I'm surely just... Melbourne or something's had one. There's a lot of first corner incidents at Melbourne. Um, I'm gonna have no. to find out. I'm gonna have to find out, but. Uh, certainly the, the the first one for in my mind a, a very long time. I hope somebody comes back and proves me wrong because it at least means somebody's listening. <laughs> if I was to give you ten pounds right now to place a bet on the next two guys that retired, <laughs> well, <laughs> to be fair, my first bet would have gone on past Maldonado. He's one of them. <laughs> he is, but he wasn't the first. Um, and the 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 other one would have probably I would have put one of the Catrums on probably Marcus Ericsson. Yeah, well, those are the two, aren't they? So, Martin had a genuine question. Has he finished the Grand Prix this season? He's finished one Grand Prix this season. <laughs> there was a brilliant stat in qualifying as well that said something like he's failed to set a time like four out of the oh, yeah. times or something. He's like only that. gotten out of Q, Q Q three once. Like, and it's, yeah, like it's, it's not even that he's feel. It's not even that he's slow. He just can't set a time. After no, that. he just doesn't <laughs> fucking get you. He think he started from the pits more times than he started from the fucking grid. It's, he might as well just start from the pit every single time and save himself loads of tyres and just use... <laughs> this season, this season for him has become an embarrassment beyond my wildest dreams. Like, I couldn't have hoped for it to have been no. this much of a disaster for Pastor Maldonado than it has been. And poor old guys at Lois, because they seem like decent guys, but they yeah. deserve everything they get for putting him in their car. Poor uh, caterums, well, they don't really seem to be going anywhere fast, do they? No, and... Uh, it was pointed out across the weekend because Kobayashi was the then next after Maldonado went out. Kobayashi decided he couldn't be fucked either. Stopped his car the uh, the next lap. Um, for now, Tony Fernandez has been oft quoted as saying that Catrum isn't for sale. What he means is Catrum the car division is not for sale. He's yeah. not going to sell off Catrum. That doesn't mean he's not going to sell off the F1 team to somebody. True, very true. Yeah. Everything's for sale. Absolutely. And it's got Evans for sale for the right price. So, yeah. That wouldn't surprise me to see that in new ownership within 18 months, probably even sooner than that. So, yeah. I, I, would be, I wouldn't be massively surprised if it's not Caitlin next year. I kind season. of hope so, because they're just meandering at the moment. Like At least Marussia seemed to be trying, you know? Uh, Caterham, you kind of get the impression that Fernandez has fallen out of love with the project that he started and probably would be better for someone else to take it on now. Yeah, fucking sell it to Ferrari and give them a B team. Probably do better than they fucking the whole, <laughs> their original team. Yeah, <laughs> why can't we get a Fiat team in there or a you know a what would fucking Red Bull can do it with Toro Rosso yeah. then? Absolutely. Why can't we have a um? Oh, there was I was trying to th we did this before, didn't we? We said that the other the other car uh, marks that are owned by yeah Fiat. That it could be. I think Alfa Romeo's one. 
Let's get, yeah. let's get fucking Alfa Romeo back on the grid. Matter, uh, that's you it. could probably fund the team solely on the amount of merchandise that you could yeah. shift. With yeah, Alfa, Alfa Romeo would be a great little team. Absolutely. Mercedes could fucking buy a team. They're connected with Daimler and stuff, are they not? So. Oh, absolutely. Get something involved in that. Might as well just have like six teams and then six B teams. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> be more interesting than watching Sutil and Asaba. Did Daimler own Chevrolet? Uh, I'm not entirely sure. I, th- I c- don't know why I think that might be the case. Uh, but if it is, what a fucking great... Chevy, have Chevy in F1 and give the, you know, breach into the US. That would be a really superb way of doing it, I would have thought. Uh, General Motors own Chevy. Uh, do they? Oh, damn. Why did it... yeah. Who else did Daimler own then? Other than Merck. I'm sure they own somebody. Cr- Daimler Chrysler is the name that comes to mind. Oh, head. Chrysler, that's why. Well... Team Chrysler, then still, it's still an American mark, isn't it? Really? Yeah, I only know a wee bit about um, Daimler because I visited Stuttgart so many times, uh, and their headquarters are there, and like their museum and stuff. So we went oh. to see that and that. Like you'd have loved it actually. There's a Mercedes museum in uh, in Stuttgart that's got uh, it starts. You go all the way through the floors, and it tops like from the very first cars in the 1900s and then the very you go through all through the years and then the bottom floor is their sports car division so they've got like Mika's 98 winning McLaren there and uh, a bunch of other cool sports cars and stuff it's a very cool place like if you're ever in Stuttgart or nearby in Germany get yourself there (laughs) holidays planned Uh... I've been there three times it's very cool you can go back (laughs) anytime yeah so we digress again (laughs) Uh, so those were the retirements. Uh, the only other ones we haven't mentioned, uh, Grosjean. I'm not even sure what happened to him. I think it was a uh, mechanical fault. Was that? Uh, I think he had another. It, uh, the, I think it was the same issue that Maldonado had. It just occurred much later in the race, which I think was it. Um... There was that much going on up front that I kind of lost track of what happened to some of the back markers. Yeah, Grosjean just pulled off. I think it was either hydraulics or something along those lines, which I think what did for Maldonado as well. Um, I didn't see what happened to Kvyat. Um, yeah, I'm not entirely. I think he just, he came into the pits and retired. He must have just had a failure. I'm sure yeah. he retired in the pits. And obviously, as we've discussed at fair length, Lewis, brake problems, uh, smoking brakes. He managed to get it home, though, didn't he? He got it back to the pit lane, which is, I suppose, better than sticking in a wall at 150 miles an hour. Uh, absolutely, yes. So <laughs> something to be said for that. At least, uh, at least the, uh, the chassis guys don't need to repair a chassis. No, that's true enough. Uh, speaking of going into the wall at 150 miles an hour, let's talk about the, mass, the incident, the Massa Perez incident, the one that's kind of rumbled on more so than even yeah. even, even the Rosberg Lewis stuff. Yeah, it's people because yeah, there seems to be a varying uh, opinions on on what side of the fence you're on, and I'm 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 pretty much on the middle of the fence. I can't I've, like I said, I watched it a few times. And I'm still not sure. My gut reaction was that it was Massa's fault, and I'm a Felipe guy. He's one of my top men. But my gut's thinking it was his fault. But I trust, maybe foolishly, trust the telemetry and the stewards and stuff, and they've said it's Perez's fault. So mm-hmm. you kind of have to, I'm, I'm, like I say, I'm still 50 50. I'm struggling here. What do you think? Um, I must admit, I've watched it on replay a couple of times, and I still think it's Massa's fault. See? He, yeah. <laughs> he, had a, he had a big twitch when he was coming up behind the Force India. And when I looked at it on the TV in the replays, I swear he has a twitch just as he's going by the Force India. Now, I don't I don't want to dismiss the fact that I think Perez is moving left. Mm-hmm. But I think the reason that 
Massa hits him and, and isn't able to move over farther to the left because he's right in the middle of the track when they touch. Um, but the reason he's not farther over to the left is because the car is not under full control at that time. I think he's he's concentrating on the fact that the, the back end has gone whoop and he's not you know he's not really thinking about moving out of the way of Perez because he's just concentrated on not flinging the car into the you know across the the grass and stuff um and so essentially i i it's probably that Perez hits him but i think it's Massa's fault in terms of that he should have been able to have gotten out of the way he should yeah, have been able to have I, gotten out of the way of I that. think that's a good point i think that's a great point Massa's the guy coming from behind so he can see everything that's going on in front of him. He's, he's like a half a car length behind Perez. So he, Perez can't see Massa properly, but Massa can see Perez. Yeah. Plus, so, Ma, so surely Massa's got... If Massa think, like... He's got to think with his head a little bit there and say, look, like, accident's no good for anybody. Even if I, if I don't get past Perez, at least I'm still getting points or whatever. And he needs yeah. to kind of be a bit more sensible, I think. Uh and and yeah, just 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 be a bit wary that not only as like he's a man with fifteen years experience, so he he's not silly. And Perez is not a rookie anymore, but you know he's still a little less experienced guy. And he's got a car, which surely he knows is struggling. He's watched it struggle for ten laps, been behind it, watched it struggle with its brakes, watched it struggle with potential speed on the straights, tires aren't fresh. So he knows that guy in front of him is a bit sort of weary and he does he, uh, it, my first instinct was that he's tried to lunge one up the inside and got it a bit wrong and I don't know but then like you said the telemetry showed he was breaking 60 metres earlier that time round is that what they said? That's so, what they said The um, telemetry obviously doesn't lie but the television cameras just my gut is, it's, my gut feeling was that massa and my gut feeling was oh fuck I feel really bad for Perez because he's done well to nurse that yeah. car home for some good points it looked just just at, at racing speeds just watching it it looked like like massive fall so mm. it's a tough one they both seem to be blaming each other as well which is you know formula one for you <laughs> yeah pretty much but massa was really kind of like angry about it, it really yeah and rob spedley as well um who said that he shouldn't have been driving the car that was breaking down or whatever but oh, come on. Rob Smedley finished the race. Yeah, Ros and Rob Smedley, that, like, he should know better than I. He's just saying that because he needs to say that in the press. He needs to come across as saying that. But he knows. He's an engineer. He knows that if you, you nurse the car home, if you can, like, come on now. This yeah. has been happening since the 80s, and that when Senna was doing it. Like, it's not a new thing to nurse a car home that's got a minor issue. Like, come on, Rob, you know better than that. But, yeah, difficult one because I like Massa a lot, but I'm... I'm probably leaning toward. I'm I'm on the middle of the fence, but I'm kind of leaning over it. I think <laughs> <laughs> a little bit towards the forcing. Yeah, so yeah, tough one. Okay, so uh, star of the race or driver of the day, whatever you want to call it. Hmm. There's a few candidates this week. Yeah, I think so. Maybe do a, what, a three-two-one bronze medal. Bronze yeah, medal. Bronze medal. Jensen Button. Mm -hmm. For his uh, solid and under the radar drive and what isn't. A good McLaren yep. by any stretch of the imagination. Comprehensively outbeating his teammate, beating both the Ferraris. Good driver, button. Second, and this is where I can't choose because it's 
I think it's obvious between Ricardo for getting his maiden win and Nico for dragging a broken car home for half of the race. And I'm I'm very conscious that if I say Nico, people will just think that I'm biased because he's my guy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very, very conscious and self-aware of that. But I'm going to give it to Nico Rosberg. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it anyway. Let's just do it. <laughs> because, quite frankly, that reminded me of Senna in Brazil dragging the car home without fucking half the gears or something. And when he collapsed in the car uh, after winning the race. Like, if Rosberg won that race from 30 laps to go with 160 brake horsepower less than one of the biggest straights in Formula 1. That's stuff a legend, and like, even though they've got the best car, it doesn't matter. Uh, that car was virtually impossible to drive for the last half of that race. Not only was there an engine problem, he didn't have any rear brakes, more or less. He had to shift all of his brake bias onto the front. Uh, yeah, so I'm going to give it to Rosberg, but I'm, I'm not taking anything away from Daniel Ricciardo drove a cracker to get the car first of all behind Rosberg to get to to be able to be in that position and then obviously to, to pass Rosberg and win so I mean it's a joint one really from me for those two I think and like, I can't I can't really I don't think it's fair to split them okay. by much uh, I'd go for Daniel Ricciardo outright to be fair I'm quite happy to say that I think qualifies worse than his teammate in sixth and wins the race um, making really difficult moves stick and still being able to then catch and pass um, a car that, you know, sure was slow on the straights but was still mighty in the rest of the uh, the rest of the lap. Um, it, it, I think it, the sheer dogged determination that he had, that he he had a chance, and it wasn't a big chance, but there was a chance... Um, yeah, he sensed the victory and he jumped on it. So you've got to give him. I think that's what yeah. I liked about it. It was. It, was bit, uh, it, it was, wasn't handed to him in any way, shape, or form. He he pulled it out from under Mercedes' nose. Yeah, if he had been close to Rosberg for the whole race and then they had the problem and he passed him, you could argue that it was handed to him. But he had to go through his teammate. He had to go through the Force Indias. He qualified sick, like you said. It took him a while, but he got past Perez, and then he still had enough left in the tank to go after Rosberg. So, yeah, like I say, no way do I think Ricardo doesn't deserve driver of the day. I just think that Rosberg also deserves it for the way he got the car home. So, uh, Fail of the day. Um, or twat of the day, whatever. Uh, yeah, dickhead of the day, I think we've we'll call, we've, we've re-end this one. Um or retard of the race, I'm not sure. Uh, retard <laughs> of the race, I like more, actually. I, I like the alliteration on that one, yeah. Uh, retard of the race, I think it has to be um, Chilty. Yeah, I was thinking him. Chilts, <laughs> as uh, Ted was calling him on Ted's notebook, which is fast <laughs> becoming one of my most favourite things in Formula 1. I, I never watch it. I oh, it. I know I should. You have to. Ted's great. Ted is awesome. I just watch that much TV sometimes that like, <laughs> I just can't fit it all in. Like There's that much going on. Ted's quality notebook is one of my favourite things as well, as well as his one after the race. Um, yeah, dumbass. What were you... Well, I don't know. I don't get it. Probably Chilton, but yeah. Maldonado's gearbox, yeah. I don't know, possibly. <laughs> yeah, that seems fair. It seems like a fair analysis to me. So Cool. 
Yeah, what? like you said, you saying about Ted's notebook there, I really do need to start making more of the stuff that's on the F1 channel because they've got a dedicated channel there and I never watch enough of it. Forgot completely to watch the GP2 this weekend after... Watch, I said, this is my new thing, when I watch GP2 every week, this is what I'm doing. I watched one, Monaco, and then forgot. So, <laughs> like, we'll get back on that for, for Austria. I did, however, watch uh, 2008 Canadian Grand Prix. What a race that was. Oh, yes. Robert Kubica... Just, I miss that man. That guy should have been a world champion. That's yes. all I really have to say there. Godspeed. I wish he was back. I wish. Such a shame, just because that guy would probably be in some sort of Red Bull, Mercedes, Ferrari right now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think so as well. Shame, but yeah, I think uh, everybody who's got the F1 channel should watch a classic Grand Prix and uh, and the run up to the to the the race weekend because oh, it's good fun like they give they show the whole two hours it's not just like highlights eh? mm. so you get you get a whole two hour race it, it's great for me because I've got a crap memory so I'll go back and be like oh yeah that was a great race like <laughs> I love it I've enjoyed the did a did a big series of them done it quite so much recently of uh, the Brunswick films which is the old sort of um Pathé news cinema clips of races in the old um, so the commentators talking about, and here we welcome everybody to the Austrian Grand Prix. <laughs> Jackie yeah. Stewart is leading in the VRM, and you've you've got like these random sort of handy cam sort of shots because that's all there was. There was no huge TV camera setup and stuff, and they're all random. You know, th- there's never any really good shots of stuff happening. It's just the cars going past at hundred mile an hour or whatever. They're really excellent. I really like those as well. So, should we do some news? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go on then. Let's get on with the Formula One news. The Final Lap Podcast News. Oh, something coming out today in the news is that uh, I got to stop thinking his name is Charlie Haas. <laughs> Every time I see it as well, that's still the, what is it, what's his first name? Gene. Bill? Gene, right. Bill Haas, that's a golfer. <laughs> I think, yes, you're right, isn't he? Um, yeah, Gene, Gene Haas, Gene. <laughs> nothing to do with pro wrestler Charlie Haas <laughs> at all. Um, he's been in the press lots recently, obviously, with his uh, announcement that he's going to be in, not next year, the year after. Um, but he's um, come out in the press stating that they're not going to go with uh, the Delara designed chassis, which makes sense because they did HRT's chassis and, uh, well, yes. Yeah. Um, and he wants, wants to form to a, essentially, it would be a customer car, I think, in essence. Um, but he's going to call it a technical partnership, uh, which basically means that they'll buy as much as they possibly can from somebody uh, and then stick their own um, aero package on top of it, which I don't understand why that's a problem. Because it's you're only buying fifty percent of the whole entire car. Yeah, I don't think it's a problem either, uh, and neither does uh, neither does Martin Brundle. He was talking about it over the course of the Canadian Grand Prix weekend, and I know we've talked about this on more than one occasion. It's surely got to be a better answer than than what we currently have with Marussia and Caterham, etc. Because they're going to become more competitive and at the same time save money. So it, it just it's one of those annoying things in life that seems like the obvious thing and you can't understand why they're not doing it. That's the way, that's what it gets for me. Because, like, you know, like you said, it's only 50% of the car. They're going to be strapping all the main bits on it that make the car go quick. The aerial package is what 
is over, which we're over, ah, over reliant upon to go quick at the moment in Formula One. Madly, much less this season due to mm -hmm. Greg. But um, so yeah, if they're strapping their own aero package on it and they're putting their own engine or whatever, getting their own engine engine partnership up and running, I don't, I don't see the problem with it. You don't see the problem with it. Martin Brundle doesn't see the problem with it. <laughs> and there you go. You've pretty much got the three most important. That's an F1, not I'm, seeing the problem with it. So. Exactly. If you're not going to listen <laughs> so, to us, who yeah. are you going to listen to? Exactly. So, so uh, yeah, I'm all for it. Maybe yeah, we'll see it. I'd like to see them come in. It seems pointless to have them come in and be where Caterham and Mauritius were five seasons ago. Do you know what I mean? There's no point. You might as well give them something that allows them to be at least vaguely competitive to the back of the grid. Um, and then let fucking Caterham and Mauritius you know, by their, by their suspension and bits and pieces from from whoever they want. Do you know what I mean? Let them go to and get the Mercedes fancy suspension or, you know, that new thing that Ferrari's got. Why not? Absolutely. And if it means that that cuts the costs for whatever, for the teams, for the R&D budgets and whatever for the teams, then, and it means that because of that cost cut and we can have three or four extra tests or something, I'm all for it because I like testing. More testing, please. That way I might get a Ferrari win in 2014. <laughs> <laughs> Let them go back to Maranello, please. <laughs> he says, hugging his Michael Schumacher. <laughs> Cat from 2004. <laughs> uh, yeah. so, so whilst we're talking about making big changes to this sport, one place where there's no changes likely to be made, apparently, is the McLaren driver lineup. Uh, Eric Bullier's come out and said that they've got no plans to change from Jensen Button and Kevin Magnussen, although Jensen Button is sans contract uh, at the end of this season, so we'll yeah, see whether that's the case or not. I mean, to be fair, did anybody really expect any changes? Did you expect any changes? No, it's a transitional year. It seems it's, yeah. this is almost a write-off year. It almost doesn't matter what they do this year. The yeah, Honda engine is the first time it really matters. I didn't expect any changes for next season, so for Billy to come out and say this, I mean fine but like i didn't uh didn't expect there to be any changes anyway so that's kind of just like thanks for that eric cool <laughs> i think the problem is is that the, the press want there to be something the press are like oh well you've not offered jensen a contract does that mean you're thinking of changing them next year and then he's just got to turn around and say no we just haven't offered him a new contract because it's the middle of the season and that doesn't seem like a very sensible time to start pissing about with contracts he's just got to say no we're not thinking about it and it becomes this big non-story in the you know in the way that f1 loves to do when people say no they mean yes what yeah absolutely and i've seen a clip over the weekend of talking to button about his new contract i think he might have been in the press conference uh, and he seemed fairly relaxed about the entire situation. It's like, I don't know, he's been there that long now. I mean, I know it's only been four years, but in modern F1, that's quite long. So, uh, yeah, he he seems quite relaxed about it. It's one of those things. The team trusts him, I think, and he trusts the team. Yeah. and they can, They'll deal with it when it needs dealt with. Absolutely. Like you I said, mean, he, it's... he didn't sign the, his current contract until quite late, this coming up to this season. So why change the habit of a lifetime? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, probably the biggest news coming out of the weekend is that Adrian Newey uh, has re-signed for Red Bull, but not actually to continue to be their lead uh, aerodynamicist. He will design the car next season, but after that he will go on to move on to car boat-related things 
and a mentoring program for other aerodynamicists in the Red Bull team. Hmm. Very interesting. It's kind of like, I don't know. It's weird. It's such a uh, weird deal because you're essentially paying him to not do anything for any other team. Yeah. I, I don't know if there is a Red Bull boat team out there. <laughs> but, but he wants to do the America's Cup, doesn't he? I think that seems to be his his target. But the weirdest but, thing, I, I was thinking, because apparently he was, you know, practically pen to paper with Ferrari. You'd have thought that Ferrari would have been able to have said to him, hey, do you fancy designing a Ferrari? And I think if you're, you know, a Ferrari road car, you say you design the F1 car and you can design a Ferrari road car. And yeah. I reckon I reckon he, he would have jumped at that. So I wonder if they didn't offer him that or whether they did originally offer him that and then somebody at Rebel said, well, you'd really want to do boats, wouldn't you? We can do boats. We're fucking Rebel. We can do fucking anything. Boats. They can do it. They do anything. They literally do anything. Zebras. Planes, boats. <laughs> anything. You've got that car that goes about driving their market and they've got a big tin of Red Bull on the back of their bloody yeah. road car. They'll do whatever it takes. Oh, and yeah, and we do energy drinks as well. Seems like they've do, done whatever it takes to keep Nui. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm a funny one. I kind of did want to see him at Ferrari, to be honest. So No. Really? A little bit disappointed in that, but at the same time, if he's no longer designing the Red Bull car, like I'll take that. I'll take that at this stage. I'll take. I'll take not having a Ferrari if he's no longer also designing the Red Bull car. However, having said that, if he does this apprenticeship scheme that they're on about and he trains little five or six mini newies, that'll be that'll be interesting. See, I think. I think there's that probably feels like that's more of an advantage than it actually is because I don't I think things like that tend to be natural talent, don't they? Sure. You know, you yeah. you, you is a genius and you can't really teach genius; you just are one. Yep, that's very true. That's very true. He still can't talk to the press very well, but no. you know, he's yeah. still an incredibly boring man, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I mean, he's he's getting on a bit. He can't he can't be there for he can't last forever. So. No, absolutely. Uh, and I'm sure he's probably fairly bored of Formula 1 now as well. Um, Kimi Raikkonen and Kevin Magnussen are not best buds, apparently. Um, despite trading as much bodywork um, as a plastic surgeon probably does in a day, uh, they have had no clear-the-air talks since their multiple run-ins, including uh, Raikkonen... Uh, essentially running into Magnussen at Monaco, which apparently he says he didn't run into him at all. <laughs> he just couldn't turn the car and then when he reversed he bumped him a little bit <laughs> I love right. Kimi right I love Kimi so much he's just the greatest personality like I'd love to do some sort of psychoanalysis on Kimi Raikkonen he's so good uh, yes that that was pretty much all I could find out in the F1 news at the moment We were, <laughs> nothing really seems to have happened yeah, um, I mean with, with with Lewis not whining his ass off uh, this week, this uh... that is true. I mean, we should mention that. Like, as much as I mean, he had all those problems with the brakes and the speed and out getting out qualified and then not being able to pass Nico at the start. That we didn't really mention that Nico was a bit uh, feisty at the start and uh, Lewis kind of got in a bit, got squeezed a little bit and, and couldn't get past. So it must be said. After his terrible Monaco Grand Prix, uh, from a, a, a whiny point of view, <laughs> uh, fair play to Lewis this weekend. He shut his hole and and manned up. 
which is fair enough. You got to give him credit where it's due. So yeah, not much to talk about if he's not crying to the press. No. And good news, everybody. More driver lineups have been announced for Formula E next year. I haven't seen this, so this is news to me. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it from you. Uh, I think you'll <laughs> like a lot of these appointments, mostly, anyway. Do, do tell, do hit it. Okay, so one of the drivers that's signed for Virgin Racing next season is... Jaime Agasuari. Oh, yay. Okay, cool. I do like him. The other driver signing for Virgin Racing is... Sam Bird. Oh, okay. Yeah, decent guy, decent driver. Signing for Mahindra Racing um, in the least possible um, surprising move Is possibly. It no Kai. It's well, no, it's close <laughs> enough. It's Karen Chandok, Karen Chandok right, which I'm, okay. I'm happier about than if it was Noreen Karthikeyan. To be fair. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> they got another. They got someone else. They have. Would you like to know who it is? Of course. As it's, long as it's not Noreen Karthikeyan. <laughs> it's, it's not Noreen It's much better than that. It's right. Bruno Senna. Ah, okay. Okay, yeah. I don't really like Bruno that much. Oh. <laughs> I mean, you I don't did. know. <laughs> I just think he's a bit irritating as a pundit on his own channel. <laughs> it just kind of grinds my gears a little bit. It's hard to pinpoint. I don't, I don't mind him as a driver, but like, I don't know. Something about his punditry kind of annoys me. Give me Anthony back. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, uh, any, anybody else? And one more. Uh, signing for Andretti Autosport. Uh, is a name that I recognise and I can't remember where from. Frank Montagne. Oh, he's um, he has done something, and I won't I won't rest until I figure that out. He's he's a former driver in something. Uh, Let me click on his profile. That'll probably tell me. Uh, uh yeah, he compete <laughs> he competed in seven races for Super Aguri in Formula One. Oh yes, of course he did. In two thousand and six. I knew I thought uh, I thought it was an ex F1 name, but it wasn't a. And he's done a little bit of testing here and there, and uh, did a bit of Le Mans, things like that. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's Frank Montagne. <laughs> he competed in the World Series by Nissan, uh, where he was beaten into second place in 2002 by the legend that is Ricardo Zonta. <laughs> yes, you'll end up turning up in Formula E. That's if he's not like a hundred years old by now. <laughs> no idea. Absolutely no idea. Brilliant. Um, yeah. So yeah, good stuff. Some yeah. updates for for Formula E, which I am really looking forward to, even if it isn't starting until September. Me too. Me too. Just one thing um, I wanted to mention because we covered it on the last show, and then about three or four days later they made an announcement. It was remember me saying I'm a bit concerned that the Canadian Grand Prix hasn't been announced for New Deal. Oh yet. yes. <laughs> Psychically, lo and behold, uh... lo and behold, ten-year deal in the bag. <laughs> this nice. Weekend. So, ten years more of that fabulous Montreal circuit, which after the race we've just had, I'm sure we will all agree is excellent news. Yes. Uh, it's a fucking great track, and it's a beautiful, beautiful scenery around the track as well. So I'm like, I really want to try and get to Canada one one stage in my hopefully many years to come down the line so yeah i love that track i'm super glad that it's, it's staying for another 10 years I, I think that's that's one of the best pieces of news to come out for formula one this whole entire season it's a real driver's track it's a, it's a proper it's old a fans track, track as well i yeah, think that's absolutely. the nice thing it's the drivers like it the fans the like fans. it the fans that go there are all proper f1 fans it's yep, not a, absolutely 
You know, That's it's true. not a South Korea or a Malaysia where no empty stands and and it's... you've got a great stand right at the you've got the great stand at the hairpin and then you've got a great stand at the wall of champions and the last chicane yes. as well like imagine seeing racing there that'd just be the best wouldn't it so i think it's one of those it, i mean we always say it's one of our favorite tracks but it's definitely the ones that I'd, i wouldn't mind doing a pilgrimage to at some point absolutely I mean, doing, me, doing sure. montreal all the way you know around the weekend and then catching the race like, if I, like i've never been to the states uh, or i've never been to north america i've never been to the states or canada but uh it's on my to-do list of course like you wouldn't want to go there if you get the opportunity so like the second i get some sort of holiday planned for north america i'm going to try and squeeze a weekend in montreal into the trip somehow and try and get to the grand prix because it's just watching it at the weekend i was saying to jennifer i was like look how beautiful that is we're going there like <laughs> it has been decided sun's shining lovely lake great city brilliant f1 track what more can you want so no, not very much, not very much at all. As for other than that, I think you know, I think the news has been like you say, it's about it. I can think of anything else. So quiet. No, that's pretty much everything for me. Um, so the next race is a it's, new track that isn't really a new track. It's not it's a new. Track. It's a new old track. It's a new old track. Isn't a newly it? oldie one. Uh, I refuse to give it what it's. Um, <laughs> its new name is. It's the Hungara Ring, as far as uh, not the Hungara Ring. The um, is A1 it Ring. Uh, it's A1. A1 Ring. Yeah. Was it also called the Osterreich? I can't remember. Osterreich is just German for Austria. So, is it? Yeah. Oh, maybe that's where I've just heard it before. Maybe it was on the sign for something like that. Yeah. And I just Anyway, so yes, the A1 Grand Prix. Um, is it the A1? I'm going to keep on just saying random names. A1 Speed Ring? That sounds about right. Yep. It's the A1 Ring, but I think that might have been shortened from A1 Speed Ring. That right. sounds, sounds plausible. But yeah... Uh, I mean, how long ago did we have this track? Um, o- o- 04 or something, was it? I don't it's been about 10 years, I think, hasn't at it? At least. It's, it's been a long time. 2003 was the last mm. one. Here, we'll play a little trivia game. Do you know who won in 2003? Um, Any guesses? Schumacher? Uh, well done, because I've lost. <laughs> you, you can't do that. <laughs> have a guess. I don't fuck know what the fucking answer is. Just have a guess, anybody. Ricardo <laughs> fucking Zonta, that's what I'm going Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, it was Michael Schumacher. There we go. <laughs> that was Wikipedia's fault. <laughs> Who was second? Uh, I don't know. I've only got the winner here. But yeah, um, let's find out, because, you know, I'm curious now. <laughs> we had a 1-2-3 in 2003 of Michael Schumacher in the Ferrari. Kimi Raikkonen in the McLaren Mercedes mm. in the uh, second position. And third, perhaps unsurprisingly, Rubens Barrichello in the, other in the second Ferrari. The fourth place driver is a driver currently driving today. Got any guesses of who it could be? Uh, Fernando Alonso? Nope. He wasn't. Uh, yeah, did he? Ah, he did drive in 2003, but it wasn't him. Um, Formula, former world champion, though. Jensen Button? Correct. And a BAR Honda, oh. fourth place. That was just when the BR, BR looked like it might have possibly produced a good car before yeah. falling so, to pieces. So we have uh, a decent, uh, the couple of guys on the grid there that have got experience of this track. So that'll be interesting to see if yeah. it makes any difference. Probably not, to be honest. Like, but uh, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. I can't really remember how that much about it, other than the fact that it hasn't got any corners. So... Um, I vaguely recall the first corner being quite quite nice. I think I like the first corner. So. It, does, uh, it, it has corners. It doesn't have yeah. a, it doesn't have a proper chicane really. That's. 
I mean, obviously it has corners, but I mean, like I was being flippant, but like I mean, oh, it doesn't have it doesn't have many corners. I thought I thought you like seven. I thought you <laughs> might you you might have meant to have said something else other than corners and just said no, corners. no, I meant I've just been I've just been sarky bastard because it hasn't any corners <laughs> in comparison to you know like yes. Korea, which has about thirty. So um, yeah, it's got I think eight corners or something, which is by a mile <laughs> the smallest in number in. in season, I think, so. Absolutely, compared to like Abu Dhabi or something, that's got like 23 yeah. or something. Yeah, Korea has shitloads as well, I think, so. But yeah, I'm just quite looking forward to it, just because it's different, like, I'm not even sure, I can tell you if it's going to produce an entertaining race or no. not, I'm interested to see the... I'm a different, so. I'm yeah. going to be interested to see the, the that, couple, that section where it's essentially um, two 90-degree corners, one after the other, so there's a short straight into a 90-degree corner, into a long straight, into a 90-degree corner, into an even longer straight then leads into a sort of um, uh, 45 degree corner really I think. oh yeah it's not it's not turn one that's nice it's turn two that I like so they're going through that turn two they go through turn one and then they go all the way up the hill and then it's turn two that's really the really tight corner so yeah I don't know I'm not sure surely Mercedes have got to be quick here you'd think eh? you, you kind of think that despite the name of the track it's probably not going to be that team's <laughs> yeah I mean it's like they've got a, they've got a track there that is almost custom built for not them, you know? They've never been good on straights. Never Red Bull have been good on straights. Yet, the track that they have here is predominantly straights. Straight. St straights and slow corners. Do you know what yeah. I mean? There's no real medium speed corners in there other than that sort of little bendy bit in the middle. Yeah, there's that one little tiny section which is probably about 10 seconds of the, the minute <laughs> lap. So That's the other thing. The, the lap is only about a minute or something. I think should be quite fun. So, do that mean we get like a hundred laps of the Austria Grand Prix? Uh, I can tell you that, but I can tell you that the lap record pole position uh, was set by Schumi in 2003, which was only a minute nine. Wow! Which is probably the quickest, uh, quickest track. Is there a quicker? Is there a shorter lap than Monaco? that? I mean, Monaco's about one eleven, one twelve, I think. Okay. So yeah, so, I think yeah, it's I... I think it's fractionally quicker than Monaco, but there won't be much in it, depending on obviously regulations and stuff but yeah i think i think it's going to be pretty pretty damn short lap other winners at this track so who's who of world champions mostly mika hacken and jack villeneuve mm. uh, and then a couple of a couple of never wases david coulthard and eddie Irvine both have a win at this track so oh, right. okay. anything's possible eddie Irvine's getting away so. oh, there you go absolutely <laughs> so uh it's i need to design a theme tune for this but uh, it's what it's time for what does this track look like? I've got one. <laughs> Hooray! It looks like a whale with its tail up in the air showing off. <gasps> oh, that's really good. So if you imagine the yeah. square bit, there's a wee eye there and he's got his big flippy tail in the background yeah. just like wagging it off like, look at me with my tail. <laughs> I can see it, absolutely. I had a couple for this one. Uh, the first is obviously it's probably the most bottle openery <laughs> of all the bottle openers of the Um... The, you know, just going back quickly, Montreal doesn't look like bottle opener. That's that. the, yeah, that was the only <laughs> one that, the first one we thought that doesn't have any kind of yeah. appendage to open a bottle on it. Um, which must make souvenirs in uh, anything, uh, anything um, further than a bottle opener? Oh yes, yes, I've got I've got two I think. Uh, the first one, it's a man with an incredibly large chin and a long nose shouting. Right, I'm gonna need to figure that out. Hold on. So a man with an incredibly large chin. Oh yes, I see it. Yeah, I see it. 
So he's I looking. Like he's looking to the to to the right. And... Yeah, like the the curve in the middle is is the mouth yep. essentially. Yeah. No, I definitely see that. Uh, <laughs> and the last <laughs> and the last one is it's clearly uh, a uh, wedge heel uh, with a nice little ankle strap. Ah, oh, yeah, I like that. <laughs> Can we do Austria every week? It's a good one. Yeah, I like it's the best one. That's the one I've had the most for. I looked at it. Oh, yeah, it's this and this. <laughs> Yeah, it's, absolutely. I didn't have to stretch as far as the uh, weaponized dolphin <laughs> that was Canada. Well, and a Hoover. Canada was obviously. Oh, it's and a Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a stand up nice in this family. Yeah. Yeah, so Austria. Yeah, it should be good. Uh, like I say, short lap. Quick, plenty, of, plenty of laps. And uh, probably a Mercedes win. Yeah, well, I mean, you've got to go for Mercedes one two and and see who comes out. I'm I think I'll go for Nico out of the two. Um, Nico will be trying, of course, but being I mean they'll both be trying, obviously. But uh, Nico will want to to get a win and watch his not a home Grand Prix, but it's, it's close enough. Pretty Australia, much, so yeah. Germanic speaking, Mercedes and that, and they'll want to show up Red Bull, of course, the Mercedes team. They'll want to come to Red Bull's backyard and put one on them. So indeed, I'll, so third place. Now, bear with me here. I'm gonna go for Jensen Button in the McLaren. <laughs> okay. Now, and it's just because I just look at it and I just think they're good through the slow corners and on the straights. They're just terrible in the medium speed and the high speed corners because they got no downforce. Um, and the weight distribution doesn't really good. But it could be that this could be a great track for them. Possibly. It's a good. It's a big could. But you know, like I said earlier. Anybody of that midfield could realistically yep. do one on another one on any given day. So if you said to me a Red Bull or a McLaren or a Ferrari or a Force India or a Williams, you know, I, I wouldn't. I don't think you've got any grounds for insanity on any of those selections. So if you want to say Thank button, you if you want to say button, then yeah, it could be. Uh, it wouldn't be my pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if it did. I mean, it was a great fourth in Canada that I wouldn't have picked out. So there we go. If I was to pick someone from third, I would probably say, and it's a really difficult one because even though it is the straightest sort of stuff that Red Bull don't like, <laughs> it think, is it is the bloody track. Yeah, and they were surprisingly decent in Canada, regardless of that. And Canada's probably, if not just as straight, if not more so than this one. So, yeah, I am going to go for a Red Bull third. And I think I think it'll be Seb. I think yeah. Ricardo's had his moment in the sun. Seb's going to come back fighting this weekend, and I think he's going to he's going to take that third spot behind behind Lewis Hamilton, who himself will be behind Nico. I think sadly that's probably the realistic prediction for it. But I was hoping I like to stick my neck out here. Every yeah, day. why not? You know, don't need to don't need to justify that. Joe's Bianchi for a Ferrari and all that. So yeah, <laughs> nothing like sticking your neck out. So I can't like I say I'm really looking forward to it though. I'm probably fucking working, which is really annoying. So I, mean, I might have to Sky Plus it and uh, and try and avoid the result or watch it in the shop. Problem doing that is I get caught up doing other things in the shop. So I might just try and avoid the result completely and watch it when I get home. Oh, I'll, have to, I'll have a I'll have a decision to make that day. I'll try and uh, I'll, I'll try and not post anything on Facebook then. Too much. What's that? What's the best? Uh, trying to say what the best tactic is. Usually when I'm trying to do that kind of thing, I just completely avoid social media just because I've been burned in the past. Usually, oh, yes. 
usually be fucking wrestling actually more so than Formula One <laughs> um, or UFC these days because I always record the UFC because it's on so late at night and then I'll stupidly te- look at my Facebook first thing in the morning and the first thing will be the belt stuff fucking with the, U- with the UFC results first thing on my news feed so <laughs> love you Chris anyway <laughs> yeah well, so that's that looking forward to it should be a good one yeah yeah me too uh, and so that brings us nicely to the end of another podcast uh, thank you very much for tuning in and letting us hopefully entertain you with our opinions on Formula One. As a couple of F1 fans, we're happy to talk forever about our favourite subject, but we'd love to hear from you guys and girls and see what you have to say on the same things that we're all talking about each week. Absolutely, and that's uh, a point almost straight to a couple of the guys on the forums that have been invited hundreds of times and don't come on, but um, also, in particular, Dean, who said he would uh, watch Canada and failed, so you've got another chance here, Dean, because it's a I say brand new, it's not technically brand new, but it's a new circuit for 2014, so it's a great opportunity to to watch this one. Uh, get watched, come on the show. Not just Dean, of course, everybody, but him in particular. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and if you want to get in touch with us, then leave a comment on our website, modernfanatical.co.uk. Uh, tweet us at Final Lap Podcast, uh, or message us on Facebook, which is facebook.com slash the Final Lap Podcast. Uh, and if you really like what you hear in each episode, then you can follow myself at Man Called Megs and Sean uh, at Fog on the Fourth. Oh, and don't forget to subscribe to our feed on iTunes, and you'll never miss an episode. So thanks very much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.